This episode of Pick Up the Six podcast is brought to you by Everyman Jack. If you haven't heard of them, they're a men's grooming company that creates some of the highest performing, best smelling products on the market. They believe it's not just about what you put in your body that matters, but what you put on your body from their body wash to deodorant to beard oil and more. They're made with naturally derived ingredients and incredibly outdoorsy scents that bring the best of nature to their bottles and bars. I'm a huge fan of all their stuff. The sandalwood scent, probably my favorite of all the things they have. And it's literally in my shower right now. So here's what you do. Head to everymanjack.com today and use our special promo code PUT6, PUT and the number six for 25% off on orders of 50 bucks or more, making small changes to your routine, even in the shower, can have a significant impact. And Everyman Jack makes that easy. Everyman Jack, naturally derived, outdoor inspired. We're also sponsored by Amino Vitals. Amino Vitals' mission is to provide the highest quality of amino acid-based nutritional products to all athletes aspiring to improve their conditioning and performance. The BCAAs, Glutamine and arginine help replenish the body's muscle proteins and jumpstart the recovery process. I've been using Amino Vital since last fall, got introduced to them, and I see a positive impact from their action and recovery products. It helps me just get rid of some of those, you know, aches and pains that come with a tough workout. Hit up amino-vital.com, use the code PUT6 at checkout and save 20% or just click on their link on the show page and save today. Eric Springer joins the podcast today, and he's a self-described human Swiss army knife, an Air Force veteran having spent time as a commander and then heavily involved in special operations command. You might see where that Swiss army knife reference comes from, but what's that multi-tooled asset to do when transitioning from military to civilian life? It was a real challenge for Eric at first. But he had a breakthrough, and he shares a secret to success and fulfillment with you on this episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. Hey guys, Brian Jodis back with another episode of Pick Up the Six podcast. We're going to meet our friend Eric Springer here in a second. I got to give a shout out to my man Jeff Forrester for making the connection here. Long time friend of the show. He's been on our podcast before Jeff Forster, great dude. He got us connected with Eric. He's like, listen, I just had Eric on my podcast. I think it's called pathways to greatness episode number seven, which I would encourage you guys to go listen to listen to this one first then go back and listen to, to Jeff's. He's like, but you got to have this guy on. He totally fits the pick up the six model. So thrilled for you guys to get to know him. Thankful for our sponsors that we talked about on the front half of the show. And a reminder, we're not just a podcast here at pick up the six we're also a media production company with the mission to really create purpose-driven content for our clients and our partners and so if you need anything on that front send me an email we'd be we'd love to have the chance to team up with you and help you bring your stories to life and that's part of what we do here through these podcast stories is sharing stories about service purpose and impact with cool people that we meet along the way and one of those is my man eric springer who joins us today so eric thanks for being with us hey it's great to be here brian and I'm excited to spend this hour with you, man. Me too. You know, whenever a friend reaches out and says, I got somebody for you, uh, I've never had that happen and it not be, <laughs> not be worth exploring. And in fact, you and I, we've been, we've been lining this up for, I think a couple months at this point, we got a chance to chat on the phone for a while and we're just kind of on fire. We got a lot of things in common, a lot of things we care about, a lot of things we're sort of seeing happening in our worlds that we care about. 
So I'm just excited to get into all that. Talk about the great work you're doing with admired leadership, what you learned and took throughout your illustrious career in the United States Air Force and how it's sort of into kind of 2.0, right? What what the next phase looks like. So thrilled, man, just to chat some. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, it's a pretty good story, I think. Uh, the, the transition and also taking everything from you know, to almost 25 years yeah. of active duty into uh, into the next uh, chapter of life here and really sure. finding purpose going yeah. forward too. Well, let's, uh, let's get in, in the way back machine and go back, man. Kid who ends up at United States Air Force Academy, Colorado Springs, Colorado. I got our little Air Force Falcons football helmet back there amongst our collection of mini helmets. Uh, my dad did not go to the Air Force Academy, but we've always pulled for the Falcons when it comes down to the Commander's Cup with that Air Force background. So how'd you end up at Colorado Springs, man? What was that path and that journey like? So I actually grew up as a military kid, uh, similar to you, Brian, and my dad was Army. And uh, I spent most of my life growing up in Germany. Mm. My mom was German, green card holder, became a citizen a few years back. And if you can think back to, you know, the battle days of the Cold War and, and those kind of times in in Europe at the time, it was not uncommon to be walking home from school and all of a sudden there's tanks rolling down the road and, and you don't know if this is for real or, wow. or if this is an exercise. And, and so that has an impression on you as a young person. And then I, I ended up doing, uh, you know, back in those days, we used to do crazy things like go on school field trips to, to East Germany and, and, and see things like that. And, and you got to very starkly see what communism an oppression was like. He, mm. And one of the, the things I remember uh, very clearly is going into the East. And it's, it's amazing how these memories get seared uh, into your into your hippocampus, you know, your brain. But I remember that uh, as a young person, I think I was like eight years old. And all, all of a sudden, I could tell there was no color. Everything was drab gray. Wow. Uh, the buildings were drab gray. The, uh, the, the cars were drab gray. The, the clothing was drab gray. Uh, and only the only color you really saw sometimes was, uh, you know, we went to a school and they had uh, uh, communist youth with the with the scarves on. And that was the only color you saw. And so uh, and another impressive aspect of that trip was that I got to see uh, you know, the tour guide not being able to really speak her mind freely and hmm. share her thoughts and opinions about what was going on. And so I, at a young point. At a young age, I was kind of impressed with there's a there's a right way and there's a wrong way, and I'm going to try to be on on the right side of things. And uh, and then uh, you know I'll be honest, the Air Force uh, compared to the Army or the other service, my dad was Army, got me uh, simply probably because my dad was Army and I was not going to go down the exact same path as him. Uh, I remember as a kid growing up that the Air Force kids you know had it a little bit better on on their bases that you know as the Army kids did, and. So I was going to do it my own way. Uh, and then, you know, I, I think we went to an air show at Ramstein Air Base. Mm. And, you know, I got to climb in the jets as a kid after. You just saw that, right? You're like, dude, me, this yeah. is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was hooked uh, at that point. Now, I didn't end up flying, you know, in the Air Force. But, uh, you know, so that's how they, you know, got me there. But as with many things in life, what got you there isn't what kept you there, right? Mm. It's, it's the, the, the sense of familial bonds that you built with people that you serve with and the sense of loyalty you have uh, to the team and to the mission uh, that kept me going over the years and sustained me. Yeah. You talked about all those years, man, end up retiring as a Colonel and your flight commander, squadron commander, 
You've got experience in special operations in the Air Force. So once you get out of the academy, right, you're commissioned in the Air Force. Like, what's your job? What are you going to do, right? Guys go to be, uh, you know, fighter pilots. They go to I mean, there's all these different areas of the Air Force, right? What are you going to do? Yeah, so I ended up be a, becoming a security forces officer uh, for for the Air Force, and I was looking for uh, to find the, uh, the quickest thing to get me to leading people and, and having a rifle in my hands and and doing things in parts of the world that most people don't go. And I think when I when I tallied it all up at the end of of my career, I think it was sixty one countries that I, wow. I operated in and and did did operations and, and led people in. And so that was what I was trying to do. And I ended up at my first assignment was in New Jersey. And uh, I, I got into what was called a, the Raven program there, which is kind of a security commando uh, deployable anti-terrorist team tied to mobility aircraft. And that took me all over Africa and South America and Central America doing different operations. And then uh, I essentially had the mentality of I wanted to go see as much as the Air Force as I could, not just stay in one aspect of uh, operationally. So I didn't want to just be in, in com air combat command or a special operations command, or mobility. I wanted to see everything. So I went to the Pacific next. I went to uh, spend a year in Korea. Then I went to Europe after that, spent three years there with, with operations. Where was your state. year? Where was your year in Korea? Uh, Kunsan. Okay. Yeah. My dad had so Osan. Nice. Yeah. And definitely a, a great operations there. A lot of ground combat, uh, a lot of training in, uh, in in perimeter defense and those kind of things and mortar systems and all that kind of stuff was fun out there. Uh, and, and it's great to still have relationships with a lot of people that I served with in, in each of these roles, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but you also got to see I was I was single at the time um, and got to see a whole aspect of, of Korea as an up and coming country and developing. And I remember, obviously, uh, I, I used to joke with uh, my my kids that you know I, I was into Gangnam Style before Gangnam Style was a thing, you know, because I, I we used to go up to Seoul and that was the posh uh, part of Seoul where you get your shopping done. Uh, but you know, the Air Force made all those kind of things a reality and made them made it possible for me for me to see a different uh, aspect of how people think about thinking and how they approach culture and life. And then I followed that up with a first assignment out of three in, in Germany, along with times in, uh, in Bosnia and Croatia and in you know, former Yugoslavia as part of Joint Force, Joint Guardian, and then into uh, the invasion of Iraq uh, at the end of uh, 2003. And uh, took that from there to, uh, to, uh, to Idaho, uh, leading in its squadron there as operations officer, and then another trip to Iraq. And, and, in 2005 and uh then i spent a couple of years with the army on exchange which is interesting yeah yeah i saw that in the bio man so you finally got your army time so the yeah, old man's happy funny. right yeah um well he used to joke that you know i joined the air force to become an army guy because essentially what i did in the air force was well i said you know i was thinking in my head you know all jokes aside you're like get a rifle in my hand as fast as i can i'm like oh well he's an army kid that wears an air force uniform it makes sense yeah yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because sometimes uh, there were times, and I think, you know, most most defenders uh, feel this way, this that, you know, you, you feel like you're this, this, this child between two parents that, you know, nobody mm. really wants you, you know, uh, and sometimes you're in the Air Force, you're, you're, you're some of these grunts that are running around uh, with, you know, rifles and grenades and machine guns. And then the Army looks at you and like, are oh, you those Air Force guys? <laughs> so <laughs> it's <laughs> right. <laughs> It's, hey, so in that in that two year sort of, you know, you call it like a loner program. 
What are you doing? I mean, are you, are you, are you in the army for those two years? Are you in army uniform, right? Like how, how's that work? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm wearing an air force uniform, but I'm in an army unit and there's mm. an army guy that's over in an air force unit. Gotcha. Gotcha. And player exchange kind of really player exchange kind of thing. Yeah. And the idea it's, it's different than working together with somebody. It's actually, you're part of them. So I went to Iraq with them in 2008 as, as, as I, as an, as a soldier might, right. And right, in the same right. capacity and the same, same kind of design and execution as a soldier might in an army unit. And so that gives you a different perspective. And I, I, I learned most of the, obviously there are great relationships there, but one of the biggest things is how difficult it was sometimes because of the different parochial pride that mm -hmm. the services have and in pushing information in both directions and, and saying, hey, hey, this is how the army might approach this problem, right? This is how the Air Force might do it. There were one of those things I picked up is if I were to, if we're dealing with a problem and if I said, hey, Eric Springer had a great idea last night, you know, we should do it this way. Uh, and everybody, be like, yeah, it's the greatest thing ever. I'm so glad you came up with that. And if I were to say, well, this is how this other service does it, then oh, no, we're, not, we're never going to do that. You know, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. And so I, 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 you started to learn well, when was the right time to actually, you know, put put the full picture out there, or when was the right time to kind of lead with context and uh, and show somebody a, just a, a different perspective. But I really enjoyed that time with them and uh, followed that up with uh, going to more army <laughs> command of staff college. And then I took command of a unit down in Las Vegas, uh, uh, working out there and at, at Nellis and also out of Creech out in the desert, uh, doing mm -hmm. different kinds of ground combat training and, and different kinds of security operations out of there with a, with a deployment to Afghanistan in between, uh, running uh, the development of police from the central part of the, the country all the way out to the Pakistani border. And then from the Panjshir Valley, basically down to, RC South. So uh, huge, huge operation. Uh, obviously, lots of lots of Afghans that we were recruiting, training and developing, but also uh, working with uh, people from all of our NATO partners in, in that effort. So uh, putting them together in a high performing team was, was definitely a lot of fun. And then uh, back to Germany, commanding a unit out there uh, near Ramstein, back to uh, the states, kind of St. Louis area, Scott, they were doing some, some of the uh, Raven operations again and uh, some of the security for mobility. And then out to, uh, to, to Lackland to run the schoolhouse mm -hmm. uh, for SF along with uh, and our brothers over in, in, uh, in the same group and, and special ops and doing the INDOC course out there and uh, running all the advanced programs for, for SF at that point. And then following that up to... Uh, Gosh, I guess I gave me a long version here. Uh, back out to uh, to Germany to do some time with Africa Command, doing some of the the Africa operations again, and and really that's how I got yanked from there uh, back to uh, Special Ops and uh, Special Operations Command Central, and spending the last three and a half years of my career out there with them. Most of that time spent in team team rooms and team houses uh, that mm -hmm. nobody knows about, uh, with uh, with a small hand handfuls of people that were doing the nation's work. And, and what what are those what what units are you working with in, in that capacity? You don't have to tell us obviously specific names or anything like that, but I mean, is it PJs? Is it combat controllers? You know, is it, it pararescue men? Like, what what do those groups look like? It's everything. Uh, so so Special Operations Command Central is obviously all, all special operations in the Middle East, and on the on from the operational capacity, right? So the. Uh, the Navy's going to maintain administrative, obviously, control of their SEALs as mm -hmm. the Army will of their, 
the Green Berets and the Marines of, of their Raiders. But once once they go operational, it, it, they're ours uh, in that sense of what they're doing operationally. And so making sure we're doing the right thing, making sure we're integrated. Mm. And so I may obviously on one mission be out there spending time with people from all those different services. You know what I'm hearing from you, Eric, every step of the way is just so much relationship building that's got to be a part of this. You know, you think about being a flight commander, squadron commander, relationships with all those that serve with and under you, working in, in security forces in foreign countries, right? Some that aren't that thrilled that we're there to begin with. Relationship. And then bringing all these special operators who you just told us, right? And, and not, we know they got their piece of the pie, man. Like they got their guys they got to be aware of and take care of. SEALs, Green Berets, Raiders, combat controllers, like all of that and all the other components that go with it and having to bring relationship to bring that together. So it's a, it's a, it's an incredible career and a life of relationship. And I wonder if that's why you refer to yourself as a human Swiss army knife, right? You got to be able to do so many things. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a significant part of it. I mean, I've, I've, I would say I learned to, to be very relational with people. And to, I, I think that one of the key aspects of leadership is knowing your people very well almost better than they know themselves and playing them to their strengths and reinforcing blind spots. And that, mm. that takes time and that takes relational closeness. And that takes you really understanding why they are, who they are, what were the formative experiences in their life that led them to believe the things that they do. And with that knowledge, how can you, how can you do the best for them and with them? Mm. And so uh, I'm about going deep uh, when it comes to people and, and developing relationships uh, very, very little that I do is transactional. Maybe if the plumber is over here at the house or something like that, you know, that you're still be probably right? talking to him. You're still, I'm still probably him. talking to him. You know, I'm, I'm probably yeah. still probably developing a relationship there because I want to know, I want to understand, right. You know, how, how did you diagnose this pro problem? Uh, and so for me, uh, every single person that I've, that I've met is, is a question that I'm trying to answer. Mm. And, uh, and was that something I developed or was that something that I, that I practiced? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's uh, both of those aspects came, came together and in, in developing that quality. What was a what was a step along the way where you had to learn the hard way, where failure came into play that helped you continue to accelerate your career? Yeah, you know, I never I never really would say that I failed uh, in, in in anything. I would say that I there were always times when I was learning. Mm. Sometimes those 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 lessons were a little bit painful. I always yeah. I've lost guys and on the battlefield and and that's something you don't get back. Um, outside of those uh, those very painful experiences of, of you know, having having people die uh, and and obviously questioning whether you could have prevented that by by being more insightful or more aggressive or more thought thoughtful and what what the range of possibilities were. I would say that one of the biggest uh, examples for me is uh, you know one of the things you're never supposed to do when you take command of or a leadership position is is you're supposed to be kind of in this listen mode and observe and, and hear. And, and the first time I, I took command of a unit, I, I, I was doing it all wrong. I, I came in and I, dang, I had the vision, vision and mission statement written before I even showed up. Right. And, uh, and here's all the things that we're going to accomplish uh, in the next six months and then the next year. And, and here's all the metrics we're going to use. And, um, a good chief actually leading me, uh, you know, pulled me aside and said, you know, sir, this this unit, half of this unit has been in combat this past year. You had guys lose limbs, get seriously injured. You may want to spend some time thinking about 
who we need you to be as opposed to what you want us to do. Mm-hmm. And that was a damn good point. And so we focused on, on the team. We focused on uh, developing a highly performing team that not only included the people that were in uniform, but the, but the families and, and being holistic. And, and the crazy thing is we actually got at all the other objectives that I set out uh, to do, but we were more effective in doing so because we focused on that team first. And, and so that was a, a key, I wouldn't call that a failure. I would say that was something that I learned and, and I'm still learning lessons yeah. every single day. Uh, so I, I consider that to be part of life. And, and for me, I, uh, this is a great book, uh, Anti-Fragile by, by Nassim Taleb, that I would say uh, I, 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 I purposely seek out adversity mm. uh, as opposed to stability and resilience and comfort because yep. I know I'm going to grow and learn from that experience. So there's going to be times when I step all over myself in the pursuit of adversity. Yep. And there's going to be times when maybe I bit off a little too much more than I could chew at that, that point in time, but I'm going to get there. Yep. Uh, and, and the way to do, and this is, you'll hear me say this all the time. I've probably said it to, to Jeff and I, I say it to everyone I engage with is that the way to do hard things is to start doing hard things. Yeah. Seek them out, seek them out, right? That bed in the morning is super comfortable, man. It's so comfortable. Like it's warm, you know, got my spouse in there. Like it's that bed is comfortable. But if I get myself up at 4.30 or 5 and start the day by doing something a little uncomfortable outside, getting go like for me, that it's got to be that. Even see like, so like going to work out in the morning, going to at a gym, outside, whatever, getting up and doing that. I, for me, as the first part of the day, I'm at least checking, listen, I ain't putting myself in serious harm's risk, or anything, but I'm at least checking the adversity box, doing something difficult. Maybe even just getting up and getting moving. And this audience knows because we talk about it all the time is you've just got to seek it. You've got to go find it. You got to put yourself in situations that are a little uncomfortable. Maybe it's starting a business. Maybe it's the way in which you manage your books. Maybe it's the way in which you have to have conversations with your spouse about the hard things going on in your marriage. That's uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to like pull you aside and be like, Hey, you have to do this. Like you've got to go find a little bit of it. And through the other side of it is some acceleration, I think. By seeking yeah, I mean, embrace the things that 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 scare you, that make you uncomfortable. Uh, run towards them, embrace mm-hmm. them, and 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 take the things that you thought were impossible and make them possible. I heard the analogy of being the buffalo. So if a storm's coming, like a tornado in the Midwest, the cows will run away from it. The buffalo will run towards it. By running away from it, it's going to ultimately catch up to you, and it's going to whip you in to the storm. But by running towards it, you just take it head on and you push right through it. So I think it's a pretty and, and nice you and point. I both, Brian, want to be the storm. <laughs> Heck, I'm is. like the buffalo in the storm. Sometimes I don't know, <laughs> but we're going. Either way, we're going. No, man, you're exactly right. All right, so tell me a little bit about taking right that 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 wealth of relationship knowledge. And we've had conversations with other veterans who have been in for different amounts of years. But what turns into sort of this, you know, 2.0. Right. The, this next phase, you got all this experience. Talk to John Rennie about this after spending time in the Navy and like now parlaying that into leadership experience, what that looks like for you through uh, CRA Inc. Admired leadership. And like, what do you like? You got a lot of good years left in front of you. God willing. You still got missionality in your heart. Right. Like what happens now? Yeah. So the the way I got to where I'm at is, is I, I think pretty insightful and hopefully it'll be helpful to 
not just uh, other veterans or other guys with special ops that are that are transitioning, but but to people that are doing any kind of career pivot. And one of the challenges that I discovered is when you're a human Swiss Army knife, right? Mm-hmm. When you, you can go anywhere and do anything, nobody knows what to do with you. Sure, <laughs> like all those are great I, things, but like what? Yeah, that, that it almost feels like a lot. Yeah, and so people here in Tampa, when I was when I was uh, preparing to retire, and, and I was talking to different, there's different organizations out here. There's a great uh, organization called the Star Network, which is a mm. special operations forces transition assistance resource. So it's it's a bunch of uh, local business uh, partners that uh, you know a lot of cups of coffee and a lot of a lot of mentorship and development that happens. Sure. sure. Uh, but I would they, they would say, well, what can you do? And I'd say, well, anything. You yeah, can send, do it all. Anywhere to do anything. That's that's what I've been doing for for the last 25 years. And nobody really knows what to do with somebody that can do anything. Mm, they they generally want to hear, I'm of this that wants to go there and do right. that. Right. And that they can work with. And I didn't have that answer. And I went through a fellowship with an organization called uh, the Honor Foundation, which you've probably heard of. Uh, big plug to them. Uh, you know, they're a Navy SEAL Foundation sponsored mm-hmm. charity to help special operators uh, get back into uh, the private sector. Uh, honor.org and they did all the things that you would normally expect to see in a program like that the, you know ele- elevator pitch resume writing those kind of things but uh, one thing that they really did for me that was so consequential is that they had this thought project and they presented five different categories to consider during any kind of career pivot hmm. and it was uh, location so living where you work is what they called it but so location is important to you for one reason or another Loving what you do, loving who you do it with, your degree of work-life harmony and autonomy, and then finally your compensation. Hmm. And the exercise. I, like, I kind of like how that part's last. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the here's what here's the point of this exercise, uh, yeah. Brian. You, you only get to pick three. Oh, geez, <laughs> you got to pick three of the five to focus on. You have to pick three of the five. Run the five through and, for me one more time. Lo, lo, so location. Where, where are you going to Where are you going to be? Okay. Loving what you do. Loving what you do. Loving who you do it with. Loving who you do it with. Okay. Your work life, harmony, and autonomy. Okay. And then compensation. Yeah, but bro, I want all five. I want all five. And don't we all, right? I want all five. <laughs> that's that's the thing. So and and as part of this exercise, whenever you pick three, they would take the two that you didn't pick and throw them in your face as if they didn't matter to you at all. So but so I'm probably Love what you do, the people you do it with, and the work-life balance. So if I was playing this exercise on Right. Can we do it? You, so I, so I, w- I would say, hey, Brian, so what you're telling me then is you're willing to go anywhere in the world for, <laughs> I know. for crap pay as long as I give you a, a good but team. That, I know, but that doesn't help my family with some certain things that we're trying to accomplish. And I already got my kids in school here. So, 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 so those things weren't as important to you, right? Well, they might not be as important. I mean, I guess, right? Like, so what, what this did for me, I'll I'll give you my, my, right. I picked location, uh, living, living where I work, loving what I do and loving who I do do it with, leaving behind. And I'm agnostic to what anybody out there picks, by the way. I just think you should be honest with yourself on this. And I left behind your work-life harmony and uh, autonomy and then your compensation. Right. And so what that did is it made me ask myself, why are those three things, the three things I need to have in my rock right now, uh, and and as opposed to the other two, and why specifically are those three things important to me? Mm-hmm. 
And so I had to think through those answers, right? In my case, I had to move my my eldest, uh, my daughter, she's a sophomore in college now at University of Miami, but uh, at this point in time, she was in high school and I had to move her twice in high school. Wow. And I saw a little tra- too late how traumatic that was for a young lady. You know, when she was younger and she was uh, kind of flexible and adaptable and more malleable and you know she would every two years we i think we moved 11 places in her life right yeah, that's a lot and, sure. and and it was just a grand adventure at, at that point but then i then you're moving from this time in life where you're moving from approval and support of your parents to peer groups and social networks and and i kept on pulling her out of that and and to some degree i may have even been a little bit callous about it where i was you know she, we we moved to, to tampa and she missed the cheerleading tryouts because they were before she got here. And I was like, oh, you'll just get it next year kind of thing. You know, well, obviously that's a, that's a huge thing for a young lady. In high right. School, right. Right. And they're there in there, there and now, right. Like it's all her world. So another failure, right. Of, to identify these kind of things. Right? right. And let's call it not a failure, just a learning process. Because sure. the learning process was that I was adamant. I was not going to do that to my son who's a freshman in high school right now. And so he was going to go to high school in one place. He was going to benefit from, from this experience. So location, living where I work had to be important. So it had to be Tampa Bay or remote, right? And what that did is it is it essentially, to use a shooting term, it tightened up my shock group. Yeah. I went, I went from a shotgun blast. I can go anywhere and do anything to it's got to be Tampa Bay or remote. This is a small circle on the paper that I'm putting rounds on right here. This is what I'm aiming for. And when people would come up to me and say, hey, we got this great thing in Austin. I'd be like, don't even tell me. Don't say another yep. word. Not enough. I don't want to hear it. Not enough. If it's not on this on this, uh, on this, this target where I'm shooting, I don't want to hear about it. Don't even distract me. Well, there's this thing in Seattle. Don't even say another word. <laughs> I'm not moving my kid. It's got to be Tampa Bay or remote. And the, the love and what I do piece is, and, and this is not meant to be political uh, in any way, but when, when the January 6th thing happened, I happened to be uh, sitting in the team house and uh, looking at the screen, looking at the guys, looking at the screen, looking at the guys. I'm like, you know, sitting here right in front of me is the entire geopolitical, sociocultural diversity of our country. And we're all willing to fight for each other. We're all willing to sacrifice for each other, all willing to take a bullet for each other. And, and then obviously we have the, you know, this kind of just disparity happening in our own country. It's mm-hmm. not like that. And I, and it just struck me at the time as the absence of good leadership mm-hmm. writ large in, in our society and our corporations and our government, yep. even and to, a, to a certain degree, even in our families. Right. Uh, and I wanted to understand that better. And I wanted to move the needle on that is, yep. is really what it comes down to. I want I said, I want to change that. If I, if I think of how this works, right. And I think, uh, you know, Admiral Raven talked about this in, in a great sense in a speech there at the university of Texas, where he said, you know, 8,000 yeah. graduates over if they affect a, if you change 10 people's lives relationally uh, in five generations, you'll have, you'll have affected 800 million people. Wow. And, yep. and, and one generation past that you'll have, you'll have affected everybody in the world. If, if you're able to do that. Right. So uh, with that as uh, as kind of a vision for myself, right. I want to move the needle on this. If I can do it uh, with one individual and I can build a greater unity and sense of purpose and a sense of team around them, and make them a better leader, then that's a win for me. If I can do that in another place, that's a win for me. And and all of that over time hopefully moves in on, on some of this issue. And obviously I'm used to small, highly performing teams that make a pretty big impact that, yeah. that build a great of sense of, of, of kind of these familial bonds and a great sense of team. 
and, and a great sense of belonging and identity. And, and so I want to, I want to, I want to do those kind of things with people that are important to me. Right. And uh, so none of that, by the way, none of this exercise got me the job that I have, but it helped me see the opportunity <laughs> sure. when it presented itself that it was aligned with what I value. And then there's a, there's a final piece to this. And you got to be a little bit like, you got to be a little bit like the Jim Carrey uh, character in Yes Man. Okay. You know, when, when, whenever an opportunity presented itself, yeah, I'll go out there and I'll talk to those guys. Yeah, I'll see. I'll, sure. I'll see what this is. About. If, it, yeah, if it's tracking with the three, right? Then let's yeah. go. Yeah. And, let's, see and let's just see what happens, right? Let's just see what happens. There was, there was a, a mentor I had in the, in, the, in the Star Network here locally, and he was one of these guys with these crazy stories, right? About, um, you know, he had one kid, for example, that was into classic cars. And so he tells him, hey, we're going to go hop in a plane. We're going to go fly to Tampa or fly from Tampa to uh, L.A. And we're going to the classic car show at the Staples Center. And you're going with me uh, for the show they do every year. And in the plane, the kid's like, hey, there's this um, there's, there's this uh, crazy garage out there in East L.A. that make these cool respirations. I want to check it out. So they show up there unannounced and uh, try to talk their way into it. They didn't really have time. A woman gets out of a car. Uh, he starts chatting her up. She's the senior vice president of Hot Wheels. They're building a Hot Wheels pattern restoration inside this garage for the car show. She says, come with me. And those two jokers are on an episode of Pimp My Ride because <laughs> they just happen to show up at the right time and place right. and get uh, backstage passes from uh, from this woman. And uh, they spend an hour on an XM radio broadcast the next day with Snoop Dogg. All that happens is just because you show up and you get out of your own way. Yeah, uh, he had another uh, kid that was into baseball, and over the course of high school, he took this kid to a game at every one of the major league baseball stadiums in the country. And so, what happens, right? Obviously, you're building these bonds with your kid, but you're also talking to the person next to you in the plane or in the stands and mm-hmm. exchanging cards. You know, five percent of that turns into something in business. Yeah. So, if you if you if you make excuses for yourself and you're like, oh, I'm too tired, uh, I don't know anybody there, we don't have anything figured out, then then nothing's ever going to happen, right? So. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, I took a lesson from that and that, you know, just, just get out there and see what happens. And especially yeah. the baseball example, my kid comes home from uh, school one day and he's like, Hey, I want to go to a, a Tarpons game, which is a minor league affiliate for the Yankees that plays here at, at uh, George Steinbrenner field in, in Tampa. I want to go to a Tarpons game with my buddy and his dad. I'm like, All right, let's go. And it was a preseason game. So it's just the, the scouts and us basically. Right. And boys are running around catching foul balls and we're sitting there drinking a beer and uh, we start talking about leadership. And I like to read the Stoics. And so he and I started talking about Marcus Aurelius and Seneca Mm -hmm. and Epictetus. And he starts talking about Plato and Aristotle and virtue and expertise. And this is kind of the weirdest way for a couple of dudes to hang out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Talking about these old dead guys. Uh, But we became friends. And uh, and just developed a relationship, and and he's a partner in the firm. Nice. And and so you know, once again, it's relational, right? We became friends. We we developed a relationship, and yep. that's really you know, foundation of anything like that is trust, right? You develop trust over time with people, uh, and reliability in that sense, and and that's how I got there, right? So uh, that exercise was consequential because when I when they finally flew me out. And I went to a, to a firm meeting, 90 to 100 people, and uh, I'm watching everybody. And I'm like, man, they really seem to like each other. 
They they really seem to get along really well, and like the, and the, I watch people hugging. Their the hugs are genuine, and mm-hmm. and there's no like little clicks forming and all this kind of stuff. And there's no personality conflicts that I can really see. And and so then it hit me. Wait a minute. I get to live where I work, love what I do, and love what I do it with. Yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> I think I'm think I'm good. Uh, so you got to know uh, what you want. You got to know where to get it, and you got to be willing to put yourself out there enough to go find it. And yeah. let serendipity and providence uh, work it for you. And sometimes you just got to be willing to go. You got to be willing to just take the first step, and get moving. I think oftentimes we just, we let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And like, yeah, I got to get this right and get that right. Like, no, sometimes you just got to go. Like sometimes you sit around and you know that you were built to tell stories and you've got a background in broadcasting. You're like we're starting this podcast. That's what we did two and a half years ago, yeah. right? We're, we're, it's time to start it. And let's put a little framework, a little structure around it, but there's no point in waiting. Don't, you don't have to wait around. And to your point, like you just got to be willing to put yourself out there sometimes um, and have trust too. And, and I think hopefully, I, ideally, like you guys are like pen to paper, jotting down those five things Eric just talked about and then think through that. Like take some time man. set some time aside and think through those, right? Whether you pray on it, meditate on it, write on it, journal it, whatever your process is and think through those. And then if you, if you can come to a level of peace with what those three are, then you can return to them. How am I doing on living where I work? Well, check. We still live there, right? How am I doing on this, loving what I do? How am I doing on, you know, loving the people I'm around with, right? And then I think it gives you some metrics to be able to form up your own kind of set of standards and and how you're looking at it, which is great. Yeah, I think the the key points there too with that exercise is realize that's that's not a fixed destination, right? Right. That that those those three of five change mm-hmm. right uh I, I i might say that for example in in four years when my son has graduated high school maybe lo- living where i work isn't as important to me as it is right now right maybe maybe then i'll be mm-hmm. more mobile or something else will be more important and so so to realize that that's that's a moving uh metric at a certain point right but you right. have to be honest with yourself about those things and then the other piece about this uh, goes to your earlier point on on being relational is we oftentimes default uh, especially when it comes to rewarding people with, well, I'm just going to give them a bonus or I'm going to compensate them for it. And maybe that's not what's important to that person. Mm. Right. Maybe if you, if you, if you knew, if you pulled this exercise on anybody that you're working with or, or uh, that you've got on your team, you might find out that what they really need is, is some, uh, some greater autonomy in their schedule because of different things going on with their family. Or maybe, uh, maybe we're, you're really focused on bringing people into the office and, uh, right now they've got an elderly parent that, that, that they need to be close to so they can support. So living where they work is, is, you know, is, is not as important or, you know, or more important as, as the case may be. But what that, what that requires you to do is to go deep and to yeah. develop a relational closeness with people yep. uh, beyond what, what people are generally comfortable doing. And, and, you know, one of the things we talk about in my, my, my firm is vulnerability loops and how you expand those with people to develop the sense of right, relational closeness. Um, and what are the behaviors that, that make that work for people? And so, but this exercise is a great one to start. Yep. Yep. All right. So people are going to be listening. They're like, well, can I hear Eric on the podcast? Obviously he's got to be writing a book about this at some point. (laughs) So tell folks where they can, where they can find you. If you want them to connect with you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Cause I'm sure they're gonna be like, man, I need some more of this. Yeah. uh, Happy to link up with anybody. Obviously I'm on, on LinkedIn and, 
uh, and I'm sure we'll post this out there, but yep. uh, admiredleadership.com is is our firm. Uh, that's where you'll see a lot of the content. You can also look at crainc.com. Uh, that's going to have a lot of the the offerings we do. But uh, one thing that that I'll, I'll push out to you, on, it's on Substack, but you'll also be able to find it on the on the Admired Leadership site. Is we we put out a daily field note, a daily 45 second read uh, on a leadership topic that's consequential and, and hopefully hits hard. And that's a free subscription for anybody, right? You just you just put in your email and you can read that, and then that that'll hopefully get you thinking about other uh, aspects of how you can. Uh, be more behavioral in your approach to being a better leader and building better teams. I'm logging on right now, signing up for that. So <laughs> yeah, looking forward yeah, to make, that. Make, make that happen. And, 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 and those are things to share, right? Uh, yep. Because that's, uh, our firm's been around for uh, 37 years. And so this is a lot of accumulated knowledge from that of working with tens of thousands of leaders over time Yep. and really seeing what the best leaders do. And uh, if, if you look at our firm, this is one thing that I, that I really love, uh, which is actually different than how we develop leaders oftentimes in the military, to be honest with you is we're very behavioral. There's very little focus on psychometrics, uh, on on assessments like Myers-Briggs or Gallup strengths or those kind of things. But, you know, really, when it comes down to it, if you think about the best leaders that you've served with or that you've observed, even in your podcast, Brian, I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell me what their Myers-Briggs personality profile was or any of those kind of things, right. but, you, but you know what they did. You right. know what they, what they actually do every single day to be effective. Yep. And that's, generally speaking, where we, where we lean and where we present. We present behaviors and we work on developing those kind of behaviors and routines and rituals and leaders across all industries and and sectors uh, to make them better and more effective. Awesome. Eric, it's been an absolute blast. If you guys like what you heard, which I know you have, please do us a favor. If you haven't subscribed already, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this, hit that like button wherever you're watching or listening to this. And please feel free to send it to your friends. It helps us out a ton. He's Eric Springer. Eric Springer, just an absolute joy today, man. Thanks for joining us. It's great to spend time with you, Brian. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. He's Eric Springer. I'm Brian Jodas. That's been this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. <laughs>